Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. off to a great start to the week. Boone Froggett is the producer of my favorite radio show, The Lowdown Hoedown. He is also the merch and publicity guy for the Grammy Award winners, the Kentucky Headhunters. Uh, If that is not enough, Boone is the leader of the critically acclaimed band Otis, based out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, their website is theotisband.com. Um, let's see if you hear a uh, CD skip on Hoedown, is it because of the chicken grease or because uh, Boone and I are messaging and Boone didn't hear what was going on. So that could be my fault. Sorry, Greg. Um, anyhow, I uh, want to welcome my good buddy, Boone Froggett, to Nightlight. Hi, Boone. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? Uh, good to hear from you, as always, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah th- thank you for being our uh, guest tonight on a uh, special Wednesday night edition. Um, no, so, um, let's see, about three <clears throat> pages of notes of uh, a stack of CDs in front of me. I, you know, it's probably going to be the usual uh, avalanche of stuff collapsing all over the uh, desk at some point, but... You know, at least I have all kinds of little prompts here to help help me get through the show. Um, but let's, let's see. Let's um, 
start off with uh, some of the uh, recent things you've been doing. Uh, You were at Roswell recently. Um, Was that trip a rendezvous with the aliens to return Freddie to the mothership, or were they (laughs) dropping off uh, all the... uh, a replenished bag of chocolate chips for Greg's birth or chocolate chip birth uh, cookies for uh, Greg's birthday. <laughs> well, the the aliens would probably like to have Fred Young, but we, we decided to keep him. No, it was uh, I, I always <laughs> I always wanted to go to Roswell, and I finally got to go with the headhunters and, and check it out. And we had a great time. We we played a place there called the Liberty, right there in, in Roswell downtown, right in the middle of everything, and uh, had a great turnout. Had a good time, and uh, yeah, it's always always a fun time with the headhunters. You you never know where you're <laughs> where you're going to be traveling to. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, let's, uh, you know, start covering things a little closer to uh, home. Uh, it it uh, seems like uh, Bowling Green has a very active uh, music scene. Um, you know, bar, you know, Barbara's only a short drive away. She ought to <clears throat> come up and uh, see what's going on there. But you know, with all you know, listening to all the stuff that is discussed on uh, you know the lowdown hoedown on wdnsfm.com, uh, you know. You know, there's Otis, the Headhunters, Blackstone Cherry, uh, Late Back Country Picker. All the, what is in the water in Bowling Green that is turning out so many fantastic musicians? So you know, it's a it's an interesting area. It's a very uh, it's a very culture driven city and. Uh, Right, right there next to uh, you know WKU the college there and there's just there's just a lot of different influences you know coming from all over as you as you said you know we're we're only you know hour and a half north of Nashville so you, you've got that influence coming in and uh, it's always been an interesting spot for bands and uh, the the town we're from is, is Glasgow Kentucky which is about you know maybe 20 minutes from Bowling Green so you have bands that kind of come up in the more rural area, kind of in Glasgow, and then you have bands that, you know, come up closer to the city and Bowling Green. And, of course, you got, you know, the, the Headhunters and Rufus Huff and, you know, Otis, where we're from. And then you got you got the bands like uh, Caged Elephant and uh, the Josephines who, who came up through Bowling Green. So it's a it's a very interesting interesting mix of bands. There's a, there's a very uh, well-known venue in town called Tidballs, and there, there's a lot of small touring acts that come through there, so you it, you can easily see an out-of-town band there on a, you know, uh, Wednesday or Thursday night, and then you'll, you know, they have more of the local acts on, on the weekends, but it, man, it's a, it, it's been a great place to build from. Uh, Otis just played a show there. We played in, uh, in Bowling Green, Kentucky at the Spillway, 
that was a lot of fun. And then, of course, you know, the uh, WDNS D93, a uh, great classic rock station. There's, there's, I've never heard another station like it. It's, it's really had an influence, you know, on me personally. You know, as grow, growing up, I was, I was, you know, 10, 12 years old uh, listening to Greg do the lowdown hoedown. And the area I was from was so rural that I had to get in my dad's truck and I would drive to the end of the driveway uh, to hear the lowdown hoedown every Monday night. And that's where I heard stuff like Muddy Waters and Hallam Wolf and Little Walter and, you know, all that stuff for the first time. And I was I was instantly hooked and, and mesmerized, you know, by this great blues music from, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and, uh, and beyond. So, uh, so yeah, just a... And you just like I said, you know, down to the radio station, it's been a it's been a very big influence on us. And uh, another DJ there, uh, Tommy Starr, he was the first per- person to ever play, you know, Otis on on the radio. So uh, D93 is a, a very special station to to me and and the band as well. Okay, and it seems like. There are just numerous uh, businesses who are very supportive of, you know, the music scene. You mentioned the Spillway uh, uh, venue, um, you know, the Mellow Mushroom, um, the Headhunters. Last CD was... um, recorded at the uh, Barrick Recording Studio in Glasgow. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah it, it just seems like there's uh, uh, the whole town is very supportive of the music scene. Oh, absolutely, man. There's a, there's a ton of support here in the, in the local area. And uh, I think that's just because, you know, there's been a lot of people who has has went on to do great things, become national touring acts, win Grammys, all that stuff from this area. Going back as you know, as far as uh, you know, like uh, like uh, you, you know, the band Newgrass Revival, you know, is Sam Bush and and John Cowan started and kind of a, kind of first you know jam grass band of its time. Kind of came out of this area, did very well, and then you had. You know the the headhunters. You know, they started the Kentucky Headhunters in 1989, and they obviously had done very well. You know, won a Grammy and, and stayed on the road for years and, and done great things. And then, you know, uh, Richards Richards from the Headhunters, his son John Fred, you know, is in Blackstone Cherry, and they've done well. And it's just it's just kind of like uh, it's 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 easy it's easy to see that you that you can do it. You know, you can. You can drive around town and see, you know, a, a tour bus leaving out from a grocery store, and it, you know, it kind of, kind of makes you realize, like, hey, I don't, I don't have to move to Nashville or I don't have to go to LA. I can, I, I can build this, you know, from from my hometown and, and and do all the same things that all these other folks are doing, but you know, be able to interject the culture of, you know, your own hometown, which is a which is a special thing. Okay. Um. Okay, and yeah, you know, we'll come back to the uh, uh, you know really large <laughs> fan base that you have, but um, you know, yeah, just uh, kind of, kind of segue into 
Yeah, your band Otis. Uh, what what's where did you get that name? Actually, uh, Greg Martin uh, of the of the Headhunters and Rufus Huff and Dean Smith of Rufus Huff helped us come up with the name. Uh, there was a, a power trio in Louisville, Kentucky, in the 1970s called Otis and Dean Psalm, and he always thought that was a cool name. And they never quite, you know, made it to be a national act or do much touring or anything like that. So he thought, he thought, hey, you know, that's a great band name. And he kind of run that by us. We're like, yeah, man, that's that's perfect. And it 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 seemed it seemed to suit us musically and and visually. It's you know, it's uh, you know, four letters, one word, very simple, very recognizable. And that's uh, that's what we ended up going with. And uh, hmm. okay, cool name. I, I, I always wonder. I don't know if it had something to do with like elevators, and you know, we'll lift you up. You know, something like that. I just. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, uh, Jimmy Hall said something about the, about Otis like that one time. He said uh, Otis will lift you up and 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 never lift you down. So he was uh, kind of making the jab at the at the elevator company there. But no, there's a you know. Uh, that's that's kind of one reason why the website is is theotisband.com because there's the Otis Elevator Company, there's you know Otis Taylor, there's Otis Redding. So uh, just trying to uh, uh, you know diversify ourselves from all the all the other associated Otis names out there. Okay, so uh, was it in 2017 you you came out with Eyes of the Suns, you know. Critically acclaimed uh, CD, uh, the Reverend Billy F. Gibbons uh, praises it. Um, so, you know, when did you know the band form? Like, how, how long are you, uh, you know, playing before you got into the studio to record? Eyes of the Sun. Uh, we we formed around 2012. We went in to record our first album, uh, Tough Times, a tribute to John Brim, uh, that was released in 2014. So there's a you know there's a little bit of space there between between uh, Tough Times and then Eyes of the Sun. So we we got a we got a really great chance. Um, to grow and uh you know the our first record was really special because john brim was a uh a blues guy he grew up here in hawkinsville kentucky in in his teenage years he moved to chicago and got signed to chess records along with uh hallam wolf and muddy waters and little walter and, and all those folks so we really wanted to make that tie the to you know uh, classic blues to our home state of kentucky and this was all really uh, Greg Martin's idea. He gave me a CD of John Brim's songs, and he's like, hey, man, uh, you, you know, just a suggestion, but what would you think about, you know, Otis maybe covering maybe two or three of these songs and re- releasing it? You know, this stuff is pretty cool. This guy was from Kentucky. So uh, I listened to it uh, and, of course, fell in love with the music. And, you know, the funny thing was I'd never heard of John Brim until he handed me that CD. And uh, what John Brim is most known for is writing the song Ice Cream Man that Van Halen ended up including on their first album. 
So uh, we go in the studio and, and uh, put, you know, put the first two or three songs together. So it's basically our musical arrangements with uh, John Brim's lyrics. And it, it's really fun to go listen to uh, the, the versions of the songs that John Brim did and then, and then flip over and kind of listen to what, to, you know, to what we did to them later. It's a, it's kind of an interesting comparison, but um, there was something about it that just worked. And Greg was like, he's like, all right, this is working. What would you think about doing, you know, a full length album with this? And we were like, yeah, you know, we were into it. It was just, it was just a very natural, easy progression for us. And um, at the time, we were, of course, like like any young rock band from the South, we were really into the Allman Brothers band, and we're really into, uh, of course, uh, stuff like you know Led Zeppelin and, and Can Heat and Humble Pie and all that stuff. And if you listen to those bands' uh, first albums, you'll find out that uh, the majority of the material on those albums were were blues covers that they had taken and put in their own spin on. So we were you know, trying to do that in, in the light of our heroes and, you know, pay respect to John Brim and, and give him some notoriety as well. And there's there's something about it that just worked. Uh, uh, Billy F. Gibbons loves our first album, and then he, of course, gave us a nice press quote for uh, Eyes of the Sun as well. But this was the, this was really the, the album that, that, that turned Billy on to us, and he started mentioning us and and podcast interviews, and I I got to meet Billy on a couple occasions, uh, once with Greg, and then another time on my own. Um, my wife and I went to a, a ZZ show and, and and hang out, and it was really cool. And we we stayed in touch. And uh, I, uh, Greg and I saw ZZ Top. Uh, I guess it'd been about two months ago now. We got to see him at the at the Louisville Palace. But you know, every band has a couple of people that are, you know. Uh, around them that are really great friends that pushes those forward and uh, you know one of us one of those for us is definitely uh, Billy F. Gibbons he's brought us a lot of notoriety and uh, a, a lot of attention to the band and uh, even had his uh, his engineer uh, uh, call us up and we talked about you know the microphones and the amps that were used on the record and and all that really fascinated Billy and um, that, that's something that's kind of amazing about him is he's just as much interested in and you as you are in him, which 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 makes always makes for a, a great conversation. A very very uh, down down to earth guy. Okay, so you know, you, you um, mentioned that you know you gr- growing up listening to ZZ Top and uh, the Almonds. Um, y- and in the uh, liner notes uh, for Eyes of the Sun, you do uh, thank the Big House Museum. Uh, so how did that museum uh, come into you know, um, you're you know, wor- working with Otis, and you know what's the connection there? Our uh, our guitar player at the time had went down to just check out the museum because, like I said, you know we were we were really into the Almond Brothers thing. It was it was one of the forces that was really driving the band. So he went down to kind of check out the area, check out the Big House Museum. 
kind of one thing led to another, and we got put on the bill to open for Wet Willie at the uh, at the Capitol wow. Theater there downtown. And uh, kind of word got around, and the big house reached out, and they were like, hey, what would you guys think about coming and doing an acoustic set uh, before, you know, before your show at the at the Cox Capital Theater? And we're like, yeah, that, that'd be wonderful. So we got to know all the people at the, at the museum and the, the curators and kind of kind of got to hanging around in, in, in that scene. And, you know, it, it's kind of cool. Uh, Macon, Georgia was the first place that we really got a buzz other than our hometown as a band that people really started talking about us coming out to see us. And, and that, that gave us, that gave us some great opportunities. Uh, like I said, we opened, got to open for wet Willie there. And then the, the same theater brought us back to, uh, to play two of uh, Jimmy Hall's birthday parties. I mean, I think we've played there maybe four or five times. And that led to uh, a residency at the, at the uh, Big House Museum, which I don't think any other band has ever done. And we just, we kind of got, uh, we got welcomed into that Allman Brothers family, the the Allman Brothers scene. They have a festival there called the uh, Georgia Allman Brothers Band Association. And they, they put on a festival each year. And uh, we got invited to play that. And the year we played is when uh, J-Mo's Jazz Band was there. So we got to meet J-Mo and uh, he was, he was familiar with our first album, and we, we really enjoyed talking to J-Mo. Wow. That's something, that's something that, that, I'll, uh, that I'll never forget was, was, was getting to meet J-Mo because we, we really, you know, looked up to what he brought, you know, to the Allman Brothers band, and the whole double drummer thing was, was so cool to us. So to see him play was, was really cool. So, yeah, even, even the photos on, uh, on Eyes of the Sun on the back and when you, when you open up the uh, – the liner notes, those were taken by Kirk West, who was the uh, tour manager for the Allman Brothers and then the tour manager for Government Mule for a long time. And, and he was uh, – he actually owned uh, the big house, you know, at, at, one, at one point. I guess, I guess I should give a little context to what the big house is. Uh, the big house is a band – is a, a house that the Allman Brothers band all lived in together uh, – in the height of their career in, in the seventies, the, you know, original six members. So, uh, time passed, they decided, you know, to put a museum there. So there's, there's all kinds of, of, of cool stuff to check out. All my brother's band memorabilia, uh, you know, uh, gear, you know, clothes, uh, posters and, and the house itself really has, has a presence, you know, from where, from where those guys were there. You, you can, there's a, there's an energy when you, when you walk in the room, especially, especially Dwayne's bedroom. Uh, if, if you go up, I could go up and sit in Dwayne's bedroom for hours. There's just a, there's just a spirit there. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And, um, I got lucky enough to, to be able to play, um, Dwayne's gold top in the museum after hours as well, which was what he recorded, wow. uh, the Derek, Derek and the Domino's album Layla with, and, and played on a, a lot of all my brother stuff as well. So, you know the Allman Brothers band, making Georgia Capricorn Records. That whole scene is is very close to our heart and very close to to, to what we want to do. Okay, so okay, so let's uh, <clears throat> switch over to from from uh, Dwayne's Gold Top to. Um, are you playing a sitar? on relief and sea 
Uh, yes, that oh, what's is that? An, uh, that's an electric sitar. Uh, that that was uh, our original. The other guitar player in the bands uh, that that was his part that he played on there. I'm I'm playing slide guitar, uh, just acoustic mm-hmm. slide guitar on that one, and then. Our buddy Danny Williams is playing uh, electric mandolin on that one. Okay, so yeah, that one kind of sounds like uh, you listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin three or you know, Battle of Evermore for for that one. That's uh, yeah. I really enjoy that that one. Oh yeah, and that's a. We, we're really big on instrumentals and improvisation. That's something that we really enjoy as a band and uh, we we had to include an instrumental instrumental on that track and i think i think it gives you a nice a nice break between you know the energy of of all the other songs it's something that's uh-huh. you know it's something it's something you can feel there's a power there but it's also just kind of just kind of mindless you kind of you kind of it, it's a good way to clean the slate you know between songs yeah i, I just really like uh What's what you're doing with uh, the uh, an acoustic song? Oh well, thank you, thank you. And so, uh, let's see, what else uh, can we get into? Um, okay, so after in 2017, Eyes of the Sun came out your uh, second CD and um, you had a chance to do a UK tour. Um, How did that experience influence what you continue to do and did open you up to new ideas? Oh man, absolutely. The first time we went over was in 2018. We went over and did all uh, just headlining club dates. It was our it was our first time there. Uh, it, interesting. Uh, when we flew into London, there was there was a big snow on, which was you know not common for them. So you know a lot of the transportation, you know the the trains and stuff like that were were shut down and that you know greatly you know influenced our turnout for that first gig but it was it it was interesting to see how uh how they you know reacted to something that's just so uh that we're used to seeing all the time here but uh man amazing experience uh those uh when you go tour the uk you know eu mainland europe they have a different kind of reverence and respect for music that we don't get to experience here of course, we we love all our all our venues and all our people over here in the U.S. that we play for. But uh, it's, it's like, man, people will go they'll, they'll go get you know in three or four drinks before the show starts because they don't want to lose their place in the crowd. And they're just they're just zoned in on every note, every word. And it's it there's there's times during uh, in the songs and in between songs that you can you can hear a pin drop just because the uh just the intense focus they they have on the music there so it was it was an incredible experience for us to to go over and uh, and kind of uh dip our toes in, in that in that culture and uh just really amazing we came back in the summer of 2019 
and we did some shows with uh, Almond Betts. We got to play uh, Bert Herzberg in Germany, which is a festival that's a lot like Woodstock, but it's actually a year older than Woodstock. So it was very much in in that in that spirit of just you know just uh, uh, the love of music and uh, you know everybody in in their bare feet and the in the dust and the mud and it's uh you know what what I find interesting about about European festivals is how multi-genre the lineups are. Uh, we had we were on the bill with it was uh, a Dol Bramall the second was there uh, we were there uh, UFO. Uh, Graham Nash, but they also had they had a lot of like uh, DJ EDM stuff. They had uh, acoustic, uh, you know, folk stuff. They had uh, they had the traditional African folk music, which which I really enjoyed. And it was a it was an interesting uh, mesh of cultures that you you really don't get to experience on one festival date here here in the U.S. It was just a just a total total different vibe, total different experience for us and. Uh, you know, it's just it's great to play for those people who are who are so uh, welcoming uh, because they they don't get to hear a lot of southern rock music because it's it's you know it's not authentically played there. It's like it's like the as bad as much as we all love the Beatles and want to be the Beatles, we just don't have that in our DNA. And they're the same way with southern rock music. So when they get a chance to, you know, experience, uh, you know, the real deal southern rock stuff, you know, folks get really excited about it, which which was cool. We we had a great time and uh, and uh, hope hope to go back in the future. Okay, and and you also got to. Uh, play at the Kaferly Castle in Wales. Uh, that sounds like a, a really interesting uh, backdrop, or you know, was a stage set up inside the castle. How? how uh, what was that was, uh, scene like? It was an amazing experience, man. That was the first show um, on our run over there in 2019. We were. We were there supporting uh, Blackstone Cherry and got to play uh, Carfilly Castle in Wales. And it was, you know, uh, like, like I've, I've told you before, it's, it's one of the oldest structures, you know, that I was, I've been able to experience, you know, so far. Because, you know, our, our you know, uh, culture in, in America here only dates back so far as far as architecture and things like that go. So to be able to take that in and, and show up there the first gig and play a show at a castle was 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 pretty special. They had our dressing room way way up in a tower, so you know, big spiral staircase, and we we got to you know explore, explore the castle and and the grounds, and uh, you know there was there was something kind of kind of ironic and kind of funny about it, you know, uh, two two bands from Kentucky playing southern rock music at a castle in Wales. It was just it was just kind of a, uh, a interesting thing to experience. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know, hope there's some uh, photos of it, or have to look for anything on YouTube. That yeah, you know, that sounds really intriguing. So, yeah, man, I'll, I'll send you some photos. Okay, cool. Um, let's see what what uh, guitar are you using for? Um, Eyes of the Sun, and and you're also playing uh, slide. What do you prefer to use 
for a slide, a glass or a brass slide? Uh, most generally in studio, I'll use a glass slide. Um, there's a company called Rocky Mountain Slides that uh, that I'm endorsed by that, that kind of keep, keeps me up on slides. And there's uh, actually there's a signature Greg Martin model for all you guitar heads out there if you if you want the same slide that Greg has they they make it and uh, man this guy makes some of the some of the best slides he uses a lot of different uh, different materials as well uh, I've got I've got uh, a couple of brass slides that I use live because uh, I was I got to where I was breaking the glass ones because I was always dropping them on the road that sort of thing so uh huh uh, Doc from Rocky Mountain Slides made me made me a couple of brass ones that I that I use that I use out on the road. They're they're a little bit heavier than the glass, which is which is probably good for me live because you you get so much energy and adrenaline that the you know the brass kind of slows you down as where you can play really fast with a glass slide because it's so light and uh, and the movements is is a little bit different on a on a glass slide. But I, I really enjoy playing slide guitar. I think, as far as instrumentation goes, it's it's one of the closest things you can get to emulating the human voice. I mean, I can I, I can sing something and then almost just you know play the same thing back to myself uh, on on a slide guitar to where it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit trickier. It's a little bit different different thing if you're if you're just playing you know the fingered notes. It, it is. It, it, do you find that there is, since I'm not, uh, like, my musical abilities are uh, limited to uh, pushing play, so, <laughs> it, it, like, do you, do you find that there is a difference in sound between the brass and glass slide? Oh, absolutely, man. It's just uh, you know the the vibrations and the resonance and and the thickness. Uh, generally, uh, a brass slide or any sort of metal slide is going to sound a little bit darker uh, tone wise, and then the glass is going to be a little bit brighter. Uh, so yeah, those those are kind of they're kind of the the main differences in those in those two those two materials you can you can get a similar tone out out of uh out of each one but there's there's going to be you know there's going to be uh differences uh, but but yeah there's there's definitely a a audible difference and then you know there's a definitely a difference when you when you play because you know it feels it feels uh a little heavier on on the hand and it causes you to slow down and, and take your time a little bit more okay um yeah, I just um, I think it's a, a interesting subject. I, I, you know, I just uh, don't hear it all that well since I'm not you know really musically oriented. But um, I, I like getting people's opinions on you know, the little technical issues of you know, playing. But um, sure. yeah, and. You know, you you were uh, signed by uh, Cleopatra uh, Records, and man, the, uh, they have some legendary n- names on 
their label, uh, you know, uh, Howling Wolf, you, you mentioned him earlier, uh, Zephyr, and early Tommy Bolin uh, bands, you know, yes, Robbie Krieger, Rick Derringer, I, you know, solo Jimmy Page, and Jim Croce, uh, you know, and there's, I was like, look at the list, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's you know, a lot of huge names on <clears throat> their their roster, then, and there's Otis there in the, the the lineup as well. Oh yeah, we're we're, we're on the list there, and uh, you know they have a they have a big film side to their their label as well. They they put out a lot of movies. We've been we uh we had a song featured in uh the movie they put out called The 27 Club which uh, features uh Todd Rundgren uh, actually starred in the movie and uh, oh. he has some songs Yeah, yeah, he has some songs on the soundtrack as well as Trent Reznor and they uh if you have the DVD version of the movie uh, uh you know Street Survivors about, you know, uh Artemis Pyle's, you know, view on Leonard Skinner uh, there's there's I think four songs of ours that are featured on the in credit scene of uh, of you know the special DVD version. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really cool. Uh, uh, Artemis is a buddy of ours. Yeah, and he he's uh, the drummer for. Leonard Skinner. Uh, he he was at the time of uh, you know the, the plane crash and, and things like that. He's got his he's got his own band, uh, his own thing going right now called Artemis Pile Band. That's that's really good. They uh they they do gigs with the Headhunters pretty often, and I've I've got to know some of those guys through through the, through them. And uh, re- really cool movie and uh, re- really cool music that they that they were able to put out around it. Yeah. Obviously, working with <clears throat> some some of these names like you just mentioned Artemis Pyle and uh, you know Jimmy Hall, um, you know uh, you know Johnny Bolin, um, you know the you know, Bill. Uh, Billy Gibbons, you know, know, it's just knowing them is enough to, you know, really inspire you to, um, you know, keep plugging along at what you're doing. But um, do you... Does everyone, like you, and as well as everyone else in the band... uh, uh, come from uh, families that were also musicians. Uh, you know, where did that inspiration uh, come from? Uh, for me, my my grandfather, David Froggett Senior, he was a he was a award winning uh, old time fiddler here in Kentucky, and my father, uh, he's he's a great honky tonk like Bakersfield style. 
a country guitar player. So I was I was on stage from the you know from the time I was eight years old, and that, I've been there ever since. And the rest of the guys in the band uh, have a have a similar background. Uh, John grew up with his family singing spirituals around the piano. Uh, Dale mm-hmm. uh, comes from a very musical family. This is interesting. His uh, Dale's mother actually works at the spillway as uh, as their front of house person. So that was that was a first for me having someone's uh, mom in the band uh, mix us. That was that was quite the experience. And uh and uh, uh, uh Alex Alex comes from a very musical background as well. Uh his his uncle is uh, Chris Hardesty from from Rufus Huff. So uh, he has a you know, obviously very uh, very steep musical background. Yeah, I think I think that's really what it takes to for to to push you forward and 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 make you a great player. If you get if you get started young and you get the you get the kind of force driving behind you at a young age, it it, it really helps move thing along and and it makes it you know uh, makes it more tangible and not just a not just a dream. You know, you can you really have the motivation to go out and do it. Okay, so. You've uh, been, you know, doing some writing. Does that mean you're getting ready to go into the studio with um, the new lineup of Otis? Yeah, man, that's that's something that we're really excited about. Man, we haven't we haven't as a band we haven't got to go in, in the studio for some time. So to take to take the new lineup in and uh and record some stuff is gonna be really fun. We're gonna have uh Greg Martin from the Headhunters at the helm producing and, and uh and, and watching over us and uh hopefully hopefully we'll 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 make we'll make some good stuff and uh we've uh, we've been fortunate enough to uh, get out and play some shows with the new lineup, got some more stuff coming up. And I think, I think that really helps prepare a band to go into the studio because you, you just, you kind of, you kind of build this, you know, uh, ex- extra sense off of each other, you know, where you don't, where you don't have to talk about things, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of let them happen on stage and, and then and the same in the studio and it, it transfers on, on, onto the, onto the tape, uh, more, more times than not. And, uh, we uh we enjoy recording, you know, in a in a in a setting where we can all play live as opposed to, you know, putting the drums down first and then go back and putting the bass and then, you know, just building it part after part. We we, we prefer to get the to get the rhythm track kinda all together on one take and then, you know, if a solo needs to be overdubbed or a vocal part needs to be overdubbed and then then that's 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 when we do that. But it's it's so much more real sounding when you can get the band in a room all playing together at once. Yeah, I I I wondered about okay when you you or you know whatever band um yeah how however yeah you know, they choose to record and. You know, for a while, you know, like CDs were, you know, what everyone wanted. It's, you know, better sound. Now, you know, there's been the reemergence of uh, vinyl, um, or uh, there are, uh, 
you know, e-versions where you can you know, just download the album or uh, you know, just one song. Um, how has all all the different uh, versions people can get uh, affected? You know, how people buy your music is is uh, like all the options making it um uh, causing you to have changes when you record things in the studio or it, uh, it is just the con- after it's completed the consumers are um dictating how they want to listen to uh, music through all the you know variety of options that are out there now it, it, it seems like the whole industry has you know changed since you know I was a kid and you know bought a few eight tracks as you know some 45s yeah you know that's a that's an interesting question you know uh, ultimately through you know streaming and the digital age, it makes your recorded music more available to people. But at the same time, it kind of devalues the uh, the worth of recorded music because you know people can they can you know get on you know Apple Music or Spotify and they can you know uh, basically listen to it for free because the streaming streaming rates are so low as opposed to you know a couple of years ago the streaming thing hadn't quite took off yet and kind of the CD was still king but uh you know as you know I sell merch for the Kentucky Headhunters and uh the vinyl outsells the CD every single night now which I, which I find interesting because uh most people are like hey you know I don't have a CD player in my car anymore so I'm not you know I'm going to uh-huh. get the vinyl to listen to at home as opposed to a CD that I that I can't really use type thing, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of to kind of see where it where it all goes. Uh, I think I think streaming could be a, a very good thing ultimately if they could if they could you know get get a fair streaming rate uh, worked out. It, it's kind of the the money you make from streaming is is kind of laughable at this point. It's it's more just about it's more just about promotion than than anything else. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm guilty of it too. I, I have a subscription to Apple Music, and it gives me access to things that I probably wouldn't have access to otherwise. So you know, you kind of kind of got to look at it from from all sides. But uh, it looks like uh, right now that the vinyl and streaming are the are the two biggest things going. Well, it, you know, it. it you know, if you, you know, just stream a song, you don't get the you know the full experience of having uh, you know, like the album. You know, it's much larger than CD, but and you know, like how how can you not get the artwork that accompanies you know, like Sergeant Pepper? It, it, oh, it's, no. you know, yeah, you kind of miss out on that. Like, you know, uh, Otis has uh, interesting artwork. Uh, so, 
you know, you know, maybe people just want to pay you know, like ninety nine cents for the the the, the one song, but it, you don't get the full album experience with the download. I, you know, it just uh, d- depends on the person. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I I like reading the liner notes, some of the histories, uh, you know, behind I don't, I don't know, some of the live recordings. We can get into that in, in, in a little bit, but you know, I'm just wondering how you, you what you thought of all the options that are out there now. I mean, for for me, I'll, I'll always be a vinyl guy because I I love that experience of you know, uh, sitting in the floor and dragging all the liner notes out and seeing who played uh, what Mm -hmm. instrument on what track and and who produced. I I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine listening to something like, uh, you know, like Pet Sounds or, you know, Led Zeppelin 1 without having that experience of looking at the art, looking at the liner notes as, as we talked about before. And, you know, hopefully... Hopefully there's uh, there's enough uh, people like uh, you and I out there, Mark, that that like to experience music that way. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you just kind of jump into that now with uh, you know what uh, you know the people that you you know as the producer. Of you know the low down hoe down, um, you know, you know you're you're talking with uh, some of the get guests uh, you know, prior to their appearance, and you know Greg gets uh, you know, some of these people you know, like John uh, Smith. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to the show anyways. So, you know, I just like to hear what John has to say. You know, I really know a whole lot about him uh, other than what you posted on the uh, blurb for the show. And yeah. It, yeah, and as, you know, John and Greg were talking, uh, yeah, you know, he, he he was saying, "Oh yeah, I was on the Roadwork CD." I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's uh, you know Edgar Winter's band and Rick Derringer is uh, playing there." Jo- Johnny shows uh, shows up for uh, one of the songs, and uh, you know you get all the what is it like. Fifteen minute long tobacco road. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a great track. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just all, you know. There's uh, all these, you know, big name people, and uh, you know, J- John was, you know, was talking about uh, appearing on that CD, and he would go on to, uh, you know, be the sax player for. Albert Collins, yeah, I, and it, it's really interesting to he, hear, uh, you know, Greg uh, in, interview these people who uh, were part of these 
you know, recording live recordings at legendary venues from you know, like over 50 years ago and you know they're talk you know just talking about you know what, how different you know recording something live was then versus now yeah get all the you know these backstories uh I, just just re- you know really amazing uh you know behind the scenes stories that um you know, come up on you know the shows on uh, you know routine uh basis and i you know i think that's uh one of the reasons why i you know really admire what um you know the hoedown does is yeah. it, it, it it appeals to you know my interest in history you know it's not Atlantis and all the UFO sightings prior to Roswell, but um, it, it someone like John helps you to cover all these gaps from the early seventies to what's going on today. Yeah, you know that's that's a really amazing, really cool part of the lowdown hoedown, and you know a lot. A lot of the a lot of this stuff just happens organically. Uh, Greg's very well known in the guitar world. He has some notoriety from the Headhunters, but mostly Greg is known for just being a nice, humble, open guy. And you know, these he has a love for music that that these people want to connect with Greg. They want to talk to him. So a lot of times, it's as simple as. You know, these these people uh, basically saying, hey, you know, I'd like to talk to Greg about coming on the show. And then they, they kind of hook up through Facebook and a couple phone calls prior to the interview, and, and it just happens. And the really cool thing is I've got to, I've got to just kind of sit back and watch Greg do some of these interviews and just the the, the excitement he gets from it uh, is 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 very uh it's very tangible you can you can feel it in the room because he he loves all this music and the people that that played on it so much and it's it's uh you, you know i'm sure you've heard a lot of standard 15 minute interviews there's only there's only so much that can be covered it's like you know uh where where are you from when's your next album coming out it's like all these stock mm-hmm. questions that yeah. you know that uh, artists have to hear all the time, but uh, as opposed to the lowdown hoedown to where it's a it's a conversation that they actually want to have, and Greg is knowledgeable enough on the on the careers of these folks to to, to pick their brains and and he he can pull he can pull stuff out of people that that you don't get in any other interview because he he makes them comfortable and he makes them you know feel valued for for the work that they've done. So it was a uh, it really cool. I've got to watch him interview. You know, uh, most of these are phone interviews, but got to watch him do. You know, Elliot Easton and Ken Simmons and uh, uh-huh. Jimmy Hall, War Haynes. You know, all, all these cool people. And but like I said, Greg really has a knack for for interviews and making the listener just kind of feel like you're you're a fly on the wall uh, witnessing a conversation, and which which makes it really special. Yeah, and 
you know, with um, you know, uh, other recent guests like, uh, say, Sean Chambers or Rick Holmstrom. Uh, yeah. Okay, they're uh, you know, haven't uh, been around as long as you know, say, John Smith. But you know, they're uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit younger guys, but they, you know they they've had some uh, fascinating careers as well. You know, you know Rick's with uh, uh, doing a lot of stuff with uh, Mavis Staples. Um, they're uh, live at uh, Hope at the Hideout was yeah. a terrific. Uh, CD of um, kind of like gospel music. Uh, you know, Mavis has a you know legendary career even before she uh, she she went solo. But uh, you know you're you're dealing with uh, you know Greg is also dealing with some of you know then like the up and coming next generation of. Um, Blues guitarists, what, uh, you know, are, are you, you know, what trends are you seeing from, um, you know, the uh, guys who are, you know, get, getting themselves established now? You know, the it, it's interesting to watch the the blues blues rock market as a whole. Is really opening up, and there's there's a lot of things becoming acceptable in that market now that may have not been acceptable maybe you know ten years ago. It, it seems like it's a it's a lot more welcoming environment than than it's what once was. You know, if you if you go on you know uh, Spotify or Apple Music and you're looking you know going through the genre categories. Uh, you'll, you'll see, you know, uh, Joe Bonamassa as the uh, as the kind of as the image, you know, the picture, the you know, poster child for for this music. And then there's there's a lot of folks that'll that'll argue that hey, that's not, you know, that's that's not blues rock, that's just rock and roll. So there's there's a lot of less of that view going away, and there's a whole lot more of hey, anybody that can keep this music going and keep and keep educating people on uh, blues and early rock, you know, let's, let's let them in here and, and see what they can do. So it's, it's been really cool to see, to see that genre uh, op- open up and, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, people, uh, people like Rick Holstrom, it makes it easier for them to get discovered because uh, Rick is absolutely the real deal. He's, he's one of my favorite guitar players and, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to to tell him to tell him as much, you know. Rick Holstrom should be a should be a household name for what he's able to do on the guitar. But after you know spending most of his career as a sideman, you know, just a, a lot of people aren't aware. So, so the more this blues rock genre opens up and people become more educated and uh, and and are willing are willing to let other influences in, you know, probably probably the bigger this market will get and the more notoriety that. That bands like that will will receive, which I which I think is a, is a great thing, because there's really there's really especially radio wise there's really not a good uh, avenue for new 
uh, rock and roll music. If you're listening to a new rock station, they're probably playing, you know, more active, uh, heavy, hard rock stuff as opposed to, you know, uh, blues rock that really doesn't have a have a uh, avenue in in mainstream media. So we've kind of had to create a home for for ourselves, and then. You know, Southern Rock is, is part of that, too. Southern Rock has kind of got soaked into the uh, part, the Americana market, and then, you know, part the, the, the blues rock market. So it, it's interesting to kind of just sit back and, and watch all this stuff un, unfold and, and see what happens. Okay. And, and um, you are using a, um, like, custom-made uh, pedal. Uh, can, can you explain what can be done with the pedal? Yeah, man. Um, there's a there's a buddy of mine from Nifley, Kentucky. His name's Jeff Bowen. He has a company uh, called Analog Pedals, but he's done a couple signature artist series pedals. He he did one on uh, Greg Martin. He's done one on myself and uh, Chris Robinson for Blackstone Cherry. Mine is called Boom's Mojo Box, and it's kind of like two pedals in one. On one side, there's a uh, a tremolo pedal, and then on the tremolo circuit, rather. And then on the other side, there's a chorus cir- circuit, and you can use them independently or you can blend the two together. And it kind of gives you kind of that pop staples sound. It, it's it's a little bit a little bit different than that, but kind of kind of in that vein of uh, you know old uh, blues. Uh, gospel arm B tremolo sound, and then you can you can add the chorus, which kind of makes it gives it a little more spacey, uh, modern modern twist on that uh, vintage tremolo sound. Okay, so are, are uh, you using that live, or you know, just in the studio, or you know, both? How how's that work? I, I, uh, I use it live periodically, and then I'm 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 definitely uh, got got some plans for it in, in the studio. There's a uh, I have a I have a, a couple of uh, Jeff's pedals from Analog, and uh, my buddy uh, Scott K out in California has a company called BMF Effects, and I also use a couple of his pedals as as well. So I, I'm not a big pedal guy, but uh, I, I'm, my mind's kind of opening up more to him more to them recently and um uh yeah pedal pedals are cool if you if, if you know how know how to use them you know the thing is uh, i never wanted to uh, i never wanted my playing to rely on effects i wanted you know to be a, a good player just straight through the amp but now i kind of feel like i've reached a point where i can start to bring some of those other elements in and and use them tastefully okay so so on yeah the the next recording project you do you know, the, the listeners will uh be able to hear uh maybe a little bit more of uh effects that you can do with pedals absolutely man i i definitely i definitely use my signature pedal on some stuff and uh I've got a, uh, a old uh, Fender. Uh, it's from the seventies. An old reverb unit that I, that I'll that I'll probably use on some stuff as, as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be fun going in the studio with the with the new lineup and and uh, new gear. 
Okay. And let's see. We um, plug the uh, big uh, Rufus Huff um, show with Wishbone Ash. Uh, That is June 20th at the Capitol Theater in Bowling Green. So uh, what's the story with you know, su- such a uh, you know the Rufus Huff band opening for such a legendary British progressive rock band it's going to be really cool as you as you said it's at the uh, Capitol Arts Center there on the square in downtown Bowling Green which is a, just a, a beautiful small historic theater I've had the pleasure of seeing uh, uh, seeing Government Mule there and and Johnny Winter and some other folks and uh, Greg and I actually actually played that uh, theater as uh, as Cedar Flat Lightning a couple of months ago and it's just it's just a beautiful room but now there's there's a guy in town that started a production company and is starting to bring some bring some acts into the theater there haven't been that many shows at at, at this theater in the past couple of years so this is uh this is really exciting that he was bringing wishbone ash in and then rufus huff is just going to be the the icing on the cake um rufus huff man a, a very very special band to me and and to otis in general there, there probably wouldn't be an otis at all without without rufus huff it's just a just a great band okay and you know, uh Wishbone Ash seems to have uh, you know a few CDs that you know really seem to put the hooks in people about uh, you know, almost kind of like uh, uh, operatic type progressive rock. Uh, music. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, h- h- how do you define uh, yeah their influence in today's music world? Oh man, I can I can I can definitely hear it. Like as you said, it's a kind of progressive hard rock, almost almost a proto metal type sound. You know, I can I, I can definitely I can definitely hear that. Uh, you know, as the as music has progressed over the years, you know, uh, bands like uh, Cactus and Wishbone Ash and Captain Beyond, you know, bands that had that hard rock but at the same time, they kind of had this, this uh, proggy kind of, you know, operatic feel to them, to them as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them live. That's a, that's kind of one of those bands I never thought I'd get to see live. And then here, here they are coming to little old Bowling Green. So it, it'll be fun. Okay, and you know, you, besides you know the all the touring you're uh, doing with the Headhunters, Otis will uh, be out and about uh, a, a lot this summer as well. Uh, you're going to be in uh, Missouri. Uh, you know, what are some other venues? Yeah. Uh, you were just in Indiana, I believe. Yeah, we were in uh, up in Illinois. That's where the, oh, the okay. our first 
first show in over three years, we came to Marion, Illinois, to one of our favorite venues, uh, John Brown's on the Square, and uh, and got to do a headline and sit there, and it was it was just great, man. We had we had people from Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, of course, uh, folks that were local to the to the area around the venue, but it was just a great uh, melting pot of. Uh, of of Otis family, you know, it was great to, after being, not being able to play live for three years, to step on stage and, you know, you see folks wearing Otis t-shirts, Otis hats that they had bought over the years. It was a, it was a, a very, a very good feeling. You know, we, we had been through a lot as a band and it, it took a lot, you know, to make that first show happen. Then we got to play it. Uh, kind of a, a homecoming show, if you will, at the, at the spillway there in, uh, in Bowling Green and, and, and had a packed house there. But uh, June 9th and 10th, we're going to be at the Arcadia Valley Barbecue Battle, and we're going to be playing there two nights in a row, and that's in Ironton, Missouri. So that should be a, that should be a lot of fun. We'll be able to change up our, our set list each night and kind of have a different experience each night. And uh, we've we got a lot of dates that are getting ready to announce. we got a show in Macon, Georgia that's going to be announcing soon. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama will be announcing soon. So we 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 got some we got some stuff up our sleeve. So uh, get get ready for a lot of show announcements. Okay, because um, yeah, you yeah do have yeah basically a uh, family of uh, followers <clears throat> on. Yeah, you know, uh all the tours, you know, uh Lisa and Curtis and you know uh D Frost put a lot of uh videos on on uh, uh face you know, live stream those videos on uh Facebook uh for everyone to uh to watch. Oh yeah, man. Uh D and Na- and his wife Nancy are are such great people. Uh, D is one of the uh, admins on our Otis Blues Crew fan page, and uh, and uh, him, John Radford, Alan Minning Road, so so many of those folks on there have have been one of the biggest inspirations to you know to get back out there and and play live because people people want to hear the music, they want to feel the music again, and we've over the years you know we've been kind of but kind of come family to each other. So we, we miss seeing them as much as they miss seeing us. And they're just, they're just great folks. And uh, I've got to know uh, uh, Curtis and Lisa really well through uh, them coming to all the headhunter shows and they're, they're fans of Otis as well. And Curtis and I uh-huh. talk, talk blues pretty often because he, he come up in an area where he got to see him, got to see a lot of blues acts that, uh, you know that that I'll never get to see. So we we always have fun talking about blues music, and uh, he always uh, he always brings us treats, and we we enjoy that. Treats go a long way, and uh, uh, yeah, just I'll, ask Freddie. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You, yeah, you got uh, you, you got to watch your treats uh, uh, on the headhunter bus. They'll they'll get stolen or or disposed of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, Greg can verify that happened, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, and usually uh, wrap up the year with the Jambodians Christmas show. Uh, 
you know, the last uh, few that you, you have know, been posted on YouTube, you know, those were uh, really enjoyable. Is are uh, one of those shows planned for this year? Yes, yes, there's a uh, Jambodians Holiday Bash coming up this year uh, presented by the Sunray Foundation that uh, provides uh, children in the area with musical instruments, and it, it's it's such a cool thing to be a part of. And uh, uh, our, our our buddy uh, Tony Lindsay there back home in Bowling Green kind of heads heads all that up, and it's it's been really cool. I've been... I've been going for to Jambodians for about ten years now, and it's got it's put me uh, it's made uh, such cool, talented people accessible to me. Like I, I, you can pretty much count on seeing Jimmy Hall every year. Uh, Sam Bush has been there. Uh, John Cowan's been there. Uh, Black Oak, Arkansas, played one year. The Headhunters played one year. So just being being able to be around that caliber of of people growing up was 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 really really important to me because you know Jimmy Hall's become you know uh, uh, I, I get to see Jimmy you know four or five times a year. We we've, we've become great friends. As I said before, we've got the he played on our first album. We got the he had. It got us opening for Wet Willie, and then we got to play his birthday parties, and uh, it was it was really interesting. Last summer, uh, the Headhunters did a show with Hank Williams Jr., and a lot of people don't know this, but Jimmy Hall is Hank Williams Jr.'s band leader, and it was very cool to see him uh, work in that in that capacity. It was kind of funny because he he was there as Hank's band leader, and then I was there selling merch for the Headhunters, and it was so it was it, it was. Uh, <laughs> a total different experience for Jimmy and I to just kind of, kind of keep our heads down and work all day as, as, as opposed to, to taking our, our, our normal spot, uh, uh, center stage. And, uh, uh, and of course he showed up to work in, in his Otis hat, which, which I thought was cool. <laughs> that is cool. So, uh, okay. And I know, you know, we're kind of, uh, getting low on time and, you know, you know things you, you need to do, and uh, I I do too. So, but you know, I did. Uh, you, you did bring to my attention about uh, uh, John Carpenter was also from uh, Bowling Green, and he, he incorporated some you know his personal memories into some of his acclaimed films. Uh, so you know, what's angle of uh, horror movie uh, connection to Bowling Green? That's, you know, that's, that's a really cool subject. If you watch, uh, if you, if you watch the first Halloween and then, you know, throughout, they, throughout the, you know, all the different incarnations of it, they, they've mentioned it, but, you know, uh, Smith's Grove in, uh, that that's a that's kind of a little town between uh, Glasgow and Bowling Green. They you know they mention Swiss Grove Sanitarium and Swiss Grove a lot. And there's a couple of street names they mention uh, Russellville Road a lot and you know Russellville Police Department. So that was those are all names that 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 came from 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 our area. And I always thought that was cool that you know he uh, he uh, you know thought enough of our area to to attach it to some of his work and and. And some of his writing, and uh, I'm obviously a, a big a big horror movie fan, so I love the behind the scenes details like that. <laughs> yeah, and that, 
you know, to uh, take up a few exits. Uh, next time you, you stop at uh, play at Jurgles outside of Pittsburgh and go, go up to the Evans City Cemetery and see where the opening of uh, Night of the Living Dead was filmed. Man, that 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 yeah. tore me up when you told me that. You know, if you're when you're when you're traveling on a bus, sometimes you you kind of get uh, uh, disoriented to, to your geography. So I didn't I didn't quite realize that I was in uh, Romero country at the at Jurgles. <laughs> yep, just, just uh, about 15 minutes up the interstate. Well, yeah, and that, just uh, next time you. St- Stop at Jurgles. We'll, you know, get there a few minutes early. We'll do a quick uh, trip up, up the Interstate uh, 79 and see, see the Evans City Cemetery where uh, cinematic history was made. I'll, I'll take you up on that. I had a uh, I had a similar thing happen uh, when the Headhunters played. Uh, they played this place called the Orange Blossom Opry in Florida. And as we were leaving the venue, the bus driver looks over and, and, and says, well, you know that uh, some of the underwater shots from Creature from the Black Lagoon was shot, you know, five miles from here. And I was like, no, I had I had no idea. So uh, you, you you never know what uh, what iconic movie was, was shot where you are when you're when you're on the road. Cool. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, it's. You know, we covered that a few weeks ago when uh, Dave God, Godsword's uh, Horror Guide to Florida. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I think he has it mentioned in there, uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, you know, Jaws 2 was filmed in uh, some Florida locations. <laughs> they, had a, they, they made that uh, like a island that they could uh pull out for it into the ocean that looked look like that uh cable junction where they uh were marooned at, at the end of uh jaws 2 so you know it's interesting to hear those behind the scenes stories of you know where movies were filmed locally and and you know, j- just uh yeah, I'm pretty sure the uh, house where the Night of the Living Dead uh, was uh, – the majority of the movie was shot in the house. I, you know, I think that's been torn down since then, but the graveyard's still still there, and it's really – a lot of things were just shot within – a few feet of each other wasn't across a huge expanse of a graveyard. It was uh, everything is just a few steps from each other. It's the Blair, uh, you know, tombstone and where uh, Barbara kneels down, you know, put the flowers for her uh, dad's uh, on his grave. You know, it's that's all. You know, just just right next next to each other. So that's, that's fascinating, it, man. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see how uh, movies are composed. You know, they just 
get out of the car, you know, get the actors and actresses out, pull the cameras out of the trunk, and you know, just everything just right there, and put everything back in and drive off to the next location. Of course, uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead was uh, was set in Louisville, Kentucky, but I don't think any of that was filmed here. Of course, but. Uh, it, it, interesting tie from from my neck of the woods to yours. Yeah, <laughs> as as well as the blues. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so we yeah we've uh, been on for about eight, eight, 80 minutes. How, how how's that sound for uh, an exciting talk about uh, the history of the blues and where it's going? And you know we we uh, wrap it up. There, unless you have something else you want to uh, cover. I no, man. I'm. I, I, I think. Uh, I, I think we covered a lot of ground. Okay, good. Well, you know, uh, just keep me posted about uh, when when your next uh, CD comes out. We'll have you on to uh, discuss that and and. Anything else Otis is doing? So, uh, you know, Boone, do you want to give out you know, the websites and anything else that you'd want the uh, uh, listeners to, you know, where they can learn about you and uh, con- you know, jo- join the Otis uh, Blue- Blues Cruise and or whatever that f- Facebook is, Otis Crew is that is that the right yeah. term? A blues crew, and, yeah. C C R E W, yeah. Okay, and yeah, yeah just uh, give out all the uh, contact stuff, and you know we'll call it an evening then. Perfect, man. Uh, big thanks to you and Barbara for having me on. For all things Otis, check out uh, theotisband.com. dot com. For the headhunters, check out thekentuckyheadhunters.com. dot com. And uh, a, a big thanks. I know I know the band is listening. Uh, big thanks to my wife. I know she's listening. And uh, uh, big, shout to, <laughs> big shout out to big shout out to the Guitars and Rocky Mountain Slides and uh, just all the folks listening out there. I've, I've had a great time talking to you, Mark. Oh, I I had a lot of fun too. Hopefully, inspire people to get it, get out there and. You know, keep keep uh, you know practicing and you know get get you know, eventually get into the studio and make a CD. There you go. Yeah, exchange information from uh, experienced people, and hopefully it inspires the listeners. So I you know, kind of wrap things up there and you know thanks Barbara for producing tonight's show and uh Barbara's uh going to be back uh, I think at least Sunday night with Solaris and I think she has Brian J Jones coming up with a fascinating look at uh Dr. Seuss. So uh, keep checking Barbara's website for those dates. And so uh, I want to thank everyone again. Thanks, Boone. Uh, Thanks, Greg, for 
uh, do, you know, doing your show, and uh, you know, I hope uh, you know get more people uh, listening to uh, the Lowdown Hoedown on Monday nights. And you know, just per, you know, Boone, thanks for producing all those shows. It uh, you know hel- helps to keep me focused on the importance of history. So uh, I want to thank everyone again, and we will. Uh, be talking to you sometime soon. Thanks, everyone. Good night.